Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat It, it up. up. Perfect. Okay. Um, so today on Eat It Up, where we, oh God. <laughs> hey. Hey. Yeah, just ease into it. No, no worries. <laughs> so today on Eat It Up, where we grab snacks from places around our neighborhoods and then chat about a bite of history. We are talking about Stonehenge. Whoa. Way ho. Way ho. Living my UK trip 2013 aesthetic. I love Isn't... that. <laughs> I'm so excited for you to bring me along. Thank you. I um, In high school, I went on a trip to the UK. It was such a miserable trip. Coldest March the UK had, or at least England had in 50 years. Really? Um, and I was not prepared for it. So it was miserable the entire time. She was there for it. She was there for it with her fluorescent pink rubber boots. <laughs> I love that for you. Thank you. I can't, yeah, wow. <laughs> I wish I had something else to say, but that's just, that's it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, think of us now. It's a pandemic. We can't travel. We can't you wouldn't travel. have known that in 2013 with your little pink boots. Would no, you? I wouldn't have. Uh-uh. And our teacher made us memorize. There's some poem about daffodils. I think it's by a guy named Woodsworth. I don't remember. We went okay. to his house. And we had to memorize the poem and recite it there. And our tour guide was just standing there. And it was the most confusing, uncomfortable moment of my life. That's bizarre. It makes me think, though, like, did you say Woodsworth? Yeah. I think okay, it's yeah. it William well, Woodsworth. Um, or, yeah, what? I think so. This is yeah, embarrassing. Okay. The only reason I know maybe who that is is because of the Taylor Swift song, The Lakes, which was a bonus track off oh. the first album, Folklore. If, if people haven't heard it, because a lot of people listen to Folklore, loved it, but didn't know about The Lakes. So isn't it just is included just... on like the soundtrack on Spotify? Like, isn't it just in there? Okay, maybe in your Spotify world, that's how oh. it works. Over here <laughs> at Apple Music HQ, um, it, did, it didn't s- seem to it show up. It was harder to, to access. I missed it, okay? I missed okay. it. And so, yeah, The Lakes, it's a bonus track on Folklore, slaps. <laughs> and to get to the point here, Okay. She, oh, is it Wordsworth? Is it Wordsworth or Wordsworth? Because she makes a play on words about Wordsworth. And I think maybe it's Wordsworth. Anyways, the whole point is she name drops him in the song. Ah, damn. It's William Wordsworth. Wordsworth. It is Wordsworth. And And he does have a poem called Daffodils. Okay. Yeah. Because she mentions in the song, she's like, something, something, who's who's to tell me what my words are? worth or something oh. something like that and it's like a play on that right anyway she and, is and the like updated version of william well i mean <laughs> she won her third grammy for i think album of the year which she is did. the first female artist to do that so anyways she um that's how i know who kind of who william wordsworth is no you and have be- we both have equal connection to and it. to be fair to her like you might say why is she name checking william wordsworth but it's also like she has a british boyfriend Right. Okay. And she so, dated Harry Styles and yeah. what is it Tom Hiddleston or whatever. So she yeah. has lots of connections there. She's basically British. Love. Basically British. Another fun fact, I think Getaway Car, Taylor Swift's song, is about oh, her and I her like relationship with Tom. What's his name? Tom Hiddlesworth? Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> We're just... Oh my God. That's... <laughs> what a terrible name. Like Tom Hiddlesworth. What a weird name, but that's not... Um... That's not, in fact, uh, his, his name, name at all. Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah. Okay, that's so bad. Okay, so Tom Hiddleston, that song "Getaway Car," I think, is about when she broke up with Calvin Harris, and then she like immediately started dating Tom Hiddleston, who was like her getaway car, yes, but it didn't yes. go far. Anyways, I don't know why I'm like just <laughs> I have all this Taylor Swift knowledge I want to share today, but um, 
Uh, anyways, back to you about Stonehenge. <laughs> I'm on a bit of a tear here. Oh, you really were. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, just because that's so interesting to no, like, I know love it. who the songs are about. But I am. Um, I have to say, my favorite song from folklore, I think, is "Exile" with was it Bonavere? Yeah. And like, that's my favorite one. It's on. It's on my playlist. So. There's like there was a running joke on the internet that that was just the favorite song of um, straight people from the oh. album. <laughs> no offense, though. I so heteros. I didn't like it at first. I was like, oh, that's such that's a hetero song. But I actually yes. do I do love it now. And another just I'm full of fun facts today. You Bonnie Vare actually has a religious studies undergraduate degree. Oh oh okay. From and, where? Um, I can't remember. I want to say like Northwestern University or something. Oh, but okay. just for people listening, I myself also have, you know, a <laughs> background in religious studies. So there's a certain kind of kinship between me and Bonnie Bear. I, I feel. I will never understand and... how his name is not pronounced Bon Iver. Oh yeah, no, I don't know. Makes I don't... no sense to me. Yeah, it's it's not what you think, but mm-hmm. um, that's life. I guess sometimes <laughs> things aren't always what they seem. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so getting on to the yeah. today. <laughs> Yeah, get, tell me. Okay, so I'm excited. Oh, snacks. Okay, yes. Snacks. Yes. So, uh, well, I mean, we'll get into it. That's yeah, what okay. comes next. Okay, so what are you eating today? <laughs> okay, so here's my whole thought process. Yeah. Stonehenge is located in Wiltshire, England. Okay. And so I looked up, like, what's, like, a classic, like, traditional dessert in Wiltshire, England. Okay. And it's this thing called lardy. Sounds gross. Okay. But essentially what lardy, like is at least like I was reading through recipes and trying to read about it. It looks like it's essentially just like cinnamon raisin bread. Okay. And so I was like, okay, like the place where I would normally get cinnamon raisin bread is just Cobbs. Right. Those are all over Canada. It's yummy. (laughs) But I was like, I'm not really going there. Support local. So then there's this place, it's called a bread affair. And it's like the location is in i want to say gas town it's not gas town it's granville island that's why i was thinking gas oh wow granville okay. island. Granville island okay <laughs> so it's located there and it's by the water because it's by the island. water <laughs> we surround it and it's they do a thing called apple bread okay and so it doesn't i i guess like i was thinking i just chose them a bread affair because like they'll have breads right and then they don't actually have a cinnamon raisin bread or anything similar and the apple bread it's not like it contains lots of sweet like like cinnamon or nutmeg or anything. Right. Um, but then I also read that one of the most popular dishes in England is apple, like apple crumble. So I was like, okay, okay. we're taking the bread aspect of Wiltshire. Yeah. And combining it with the apples of the country. And that is how we got upon apple bread. I love how you're just like doing a fusion. And so you're not actually yeah. doing like a British thing. Not. You're just like <laughs> how you see the British. That's... That's how I see. And so anyways, apparently like I just toasted this with butter um, but I'll be very interested. Apparently, it's, like, wicked for, like, a grilled cheese. Because, you know, oh, apple yes. and cheese go so well together. Yes. So I'm really looking forward Have to that. Have you never had an apple bread grilled cheese? You're saying, are you saying this seriously? Yeah, well, okay. Is so apple this, bread a common occurrence? Okay, this is, this is the, the only first time reason I've seen it. <laughs> this is the reason I would assume you would know it. Because for the listeners, this will be not interesting. But <laughs> Maria and I met as orientation coordinators at Queen's University, where we studied together. Oh, and we the went big to apple. This, the Big Apple, which, if oh you're familiar, God. is on the 401 between, just outside of Kingston, like if you're heading towards Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they have all apple products. It's delicious. Yes. And they have an amazing apple grilled cheese Dude, it's oh, the best yes, thing that you're they right. have. everyone was crazy about it's that so good and it's with oh, apple shoot. bread so okay um, that's why i assumed you maybe had it oh okay I maybe i have it that but like i just around it's here it's memory. like 
it's a distant you don't have almost lost apples there yeah <laughs> anyways i do have to say the whole drive there i was like dreading it because i pulled my back out earlier this week and oh, i was okay. in so much pain on the drive there but i had to do it i was so brave right and you are. i got there and it was such a gorgeous day like sun was shining and it's like right now parking is free at granville island which it literally oh. never is but with covid it's free right 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 and it was a weekday so no one was there it was still early enough in the morning and it was the most pleasant atmosphere i've ever like i was fully at peace and i don't think i felt that way in months like i was just like wow so happy and they were playing beautiful music and then the fresh bread like smell wafting out from a bread affair because they specialize in brioche so right, it's like that okay. nice, like sweet, buttery smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! I like got in the car and I was like, I am so happy right now. So it was a very pleasant experience. Would recommend. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad to hear you're so happy. That's Thank like, you. Yeah, that was really nice. Okay, well, <laughs> should I talk about my stack? Yeah, but before we dive into yours, I have to say, Sam, you're eating oh. a very traditional English dish, and yet mere months ago you were ruining the British saying that they had brought nothing to the food forum. Oh, I have said that. I have, yeah, I guess you not famously, but like semi-famously, <laughs> I've always said that the the food that the British kind of bring to just world mm-hmm. cuisine, they've, it's a flop. Like I, like I can oh. literally name like zero British it dishes. It upsets me so much when you say that. I know, Maria's like a British food stand and, and just respectfully. I, and I not all of it. Not all of it. Like I do, I think whatever, like I'm not here for in the UK in general, haggis. I don't vibe with that blood sausage, yeah. beans on everything. Mm-mm. Yeah. But you have to give them credit for roasts. I get that you don't really love roasts. But no, I don't like vegetarian, roast. I love roasts. Yorkshire puddings, like potatoes and everything. That's fantastic. They're amazing at some of their desserts because they love sugar and I love sugar. But the, the way Scones. they do everything can be, is, can be done better. Like the way, like mashed potatoes. Because who has done a roast better than the English? Just like don't cook, like I just a roast is like a bad way to cook meat. Like it's just, there's 7 million ways to do it better. I will die on this hill, but I will die. I will. Yeah, (laughs) it will actually kill me on this hill. Okay, well, the thing that I like what I'm eating today, Mm -hmm. I'm eating scones from, yeah, which yes, Maria says it's British. Okay. Um, and I didn't plan it, obviously, to match mm-hmm. up with this episode, even though, you know, I guess I theoretically should. But it's my <laughs> deferred scones from Vanity from last week, if you were listening and remember that I had a struggle getting them. Anyways, I ordered them. I got them. They're really small and cute. Um, like, wow. they're kind of teeny tiny, like, mini scones. And they come with powdered sugar on top. Which I love that. I love. I just. And are they vanilla me. or are they, like, plain? They're plain. Oh, yeah, okay. so, and they came with this, like, yum, kind of berry compote. Oh, not like, it's like a jam thing, but it, to me, I don't know. Maybe it's not a compote. It's more jam, I guess. But yeah, so that's what I'm eating. Well, that sounds yummy and very British. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's good. Like, scones are good. I mean, like, but if you're thinking of, if you want to do kind of like bread, try the French. Try a baguette. I, I am not standing here and saying that the British are the best by any means. No, I I'm just saying like brought something to the table at least. <laughs> and I sent it back. <laughs> I said I'm fine, thanks. And I but... sent it back to the chef. Anyways, um Ugh. <laughs> you were acting like Okay, such let's a get into Stonehenge okay. before this, this devolves any further into to name calling <laughs> and insults. So Stonehenge, uh touch of background, then we do details before significance. Okay. So 
Stonehenge is the best known and most mysterious megalithic monument in the world. A megalithic just means a monument of stones. Okay. If anyone's confused. <laughs> okay, I'm like, what did you just call me? I'm like, what'd you say? And as I said, it's on Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire, England, is where okay. it's located. I have been there, stood there, took photos there. She's right. So you kind of have, you didn't realize, but you were preparing for this podcast episode eight years oh, yeah. later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it was built thousands of years ago with work beginning on the monument during the late Neolithic age, which was around like 3000 BC. Okay. Um, for a touch of context, the Neolithic age was actually pretty important because it marked the transition in human history from small nomadic bands of hunter gatherers to larger agricultural settlements and like early civilization. Okay. So many aspects of like our modern societies can be traced to this moment in history when people started actually like living together in communities and staying in like one place to live. Right. And over the next thousand years, people made many changes to Stonehenge with the last changes being made in the early Bronze Age, which was around 1500 BC. Holy shit, we are really going into history. Like, we're, we're not doing, doing like... it. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Before Christ, baby. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And a hinge just basically refers to a circular or roughly oval-shaped ditch with an external bank. Stonehenge okay. is kind of the opposite in that its bank is internal to its ditch. Okay. But... It doesn't really matter. Anyway, that's why we get Stonehenge. It's like it's stones and a henge. That's where like kind of the oh. comes from. Okay, gotcha. And Stonehenge is just one of hundreds of stone circles that have been found in Britain. During the early Bronze Age, circles built from stone or wood played a very important part in like the religious life or certain aspects of ancient Britain's life. So right. they, it's not the only one, but it's kind of the one that we all know about. We all know and love. We all know and love. Our favorite henge. <laughs> Of all the henges, there's also a place called Woodhenge. There's just a bunch of wooden little oh. things. So is there like a tree henge? There's something else henge. Like they kind of, okay. it is thrown around a fair amount. Could be anything. Okay. Could be anything. Yeah. Salisbury Plain, and you call it Wiltshire. I want to say Wiltshire, but um, okay. I don't know. <laughs> You're probably know. right. They <laughs> could be wrong too. I'm not trying to shade you. I'm just. No, no. Yeah, just um, call me out. But so where, this is. It's close to London, right? So Stonehenge is like around 90 miles west from central London. So like you could do it in a day trip. Okay. So it's close to, relatively close to London. Relatively close. Okay, cool. So now you're, now details. Now details. Yeah. So one of the major questions a lot of people have regarding Stonehenge is how was it built? Yeah. That's your first thing. You're like, how was it built? How the heck did they get it up there? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Stonehenge was at least in the making for 400 years, although it's hard because every historian or archaeologist has like different ideas. Like some would have it span like like a thousand plus years, some it's a hundred. So it's, right. we're going within a rough time frame here. Right. But the first phase it is generally agreed upon was built around 3000 BC. And okay. this is with no stones. It was just a simple circular earthwork enclosure, that, which sounds confusing. It was just a circular ditch with an inner bank and outer bank and two entrances. It's the henge. It's the henge, baby. And it had, um, it was about 100 meters in diameter. So fairly large. Um, Oh, that is big. Okay. But this enclosure, it's similar to others found throughout the UK. It's like not particularly interesting. Henges began to be built by the Neolithic people during this period all over the British Isles. And today there are around 1,000 henges known of and new ones being discovered like regularly. So you could go, you can find a henge there. Right. And, <laughs> and okay. 
the ditches, they weren't like defensive. It wasn't meant to like keep people out necessarily. Right. They were more so a device so that people couldn't see inside to like the sacred area where the ceremonies would take place in the middle. Oh. So it was more to like ensure like privacy as opposed to like be defensive. Right. Okay. Yeah. So at this time when for the most part, the rest of Southern England was mostly covered in woods. Right. The area of Stonehenge may have been an unusually open landscape, so that can possibly explain why it became the site of an early Neolithic monument. Right. Is that it was this great kind of open space. The plain. The plain. The Salisbury Plain. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the first phase. The second phase happened around 2800 BC, and this is where timber posts were placed within the enclosure. Okay. And as I was saying before, this isn't super unusual either, as there's also a place called Woodhenge nearby mm-hmm. that has a ton of wooden posts arranged in concentric circles. Right. So that was like, they were just doing the whole wooden thing. Yeah. And so within and around these posts, people buried cremations, and about 64 cremations have been found, and possibly as many as 150 people were originally buried at Stonehenge, oh, making wow. it, this is the, this title to me is hilarious because it's so specific. Yeah. Making it the largest late Neolithic cemetery in the British Isles. Oh my God, what an honor. <laughs> an honor. I was like, yeah. does anyone else hold that? Like, who else is up for that yeah. title? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, Woodhenge is pissed. Yeah. You're so close. And so archaeologists believe that Stonehenge began to take on its modern form two centuries later. And this is when large stones were brought to the site. And it's the third and final stage of construction. Right. And so before we kind of talk a little bit about it, we're going to talk about rocks. And it's about to get really interesting. Oh my God, it's a geology (laughs) podcast. It's a geology, and I'm being sarcastic here. The rocks aren't my favorite part, but it's important to kind of understand. There are two kinds of stones. Any article that you read about Stonehenge at Stones, they'll always talk about these two types. There's a couple other ones. But the two major ones, you have the larger sarsens and the smaller blue stones. Okay. And so the sarsens are kind of what you picture when you think of Stonehenge is like those big pillars that then have like stones placed on top of them. That's kind of what you picture when you see Stonehenge right. and blue right. stones are like the smaller ones kind of in the middle that you wouldn't really think much of, but right. they're are located they just like on the ground. They're on the ground and they're a little bit smaller. Their significance comes up a little bit later, but when you think of Stonehenge, okay. you're probably thinking of the sarsen stones. Of a sarsen. Okay. Of a sarsen. How do I spell sarsen? Sarsen is spelled S-A-R- S-E-N. Sarsen. Okay. That's so different than what I thought. Okay. That's helpful. <laughs> so that's really helpful for me. Scrabble thank you. <laughs> the Sarsens were organized in two concentric arrangements, right. an inner horseshoe and an outer circle. Okay. And then the blue stones were set up between them in like a double arc. Right. And I would have to say like, even just reading about it, and I was reading about it in several like articles. I think that if you want to understand the shape of it and like what I'm saying, it's easier to like look at a map and see it labeled being like, these are the blue stones. Right. These are the sarsens because the final forms are obviously like they eroded over time and things have changed. Right. So it's hard to picture it. But when you look at a labeled picture, you can see like what stones are meant to be, which. Right. Right. And there's also like an altar stone in like the very center. It's much larger than the blue stones. And it lies flat, but you need special access to see it. So if you ever went there just for like a day trip, you'd probably right. never see the altar stone. No, just any Joe Schmo can just walk on. You can't just roll no. up there and touch all the stones, Bebs. It's the altar stone, baby. <laughs> Get away. So the first to be put in place of the stones 
were the 80 or so blue stones. Okay. And they were later rearranged into a double circle with an entrance facing northeast. And the arrival of these stones is when Stonehenge changed or like transformed from something fairly ordinary and typical in the area to something unusual. It is like these stones that like kind of make it so famous and why we still talk about it and it's so important today. The Sarsons. We're talking about the blue stones. Oh, the blue stones are what make it famous. And you wouldn't think because they're the smaller ones, you don't really think of them. They're actually really cool. That is such a twist. Okay, such I thought it was fully the Sarsons. Okay. Yeah, and blue stones. I'm now talk- hooked. Thank you. Now <laughs> blue hooked. stones we'll okay. talk more about in like significance. Um, right. But they they're really special. And around 2500 to 2200 BC, the megaliths or huge Sarsen stones, the ones that right. you think of, right. were put in place. And when Stonehenge was built, there were 30 upright stones. Okay. The important thing to consider is Sarsens stand upright. Right. What's on top of them? Because you know Stonehenge has these big stones with other stones lying flat across? Yeah. Those big stones on top are called lintels. Lintel, okay. And, um, yeah, so the 30 upright sarsens supported 30 lintels when this was originally built. Right. Today, there's only 17 sarsens still standing and six lintels. So it's changed a bit, but originally it was 30-30. Right, okay. The lintels really (laughs) took a hit. They really took a hit. Um, and yeah. it's estimated that as many as 1,000 people would have been needed to haul these massive stones. Like, that's how big they are. Right. And then also, we're really getting to the stones. This is the last stone I'm talking about today. Okay. But I, this is only, I'm only talking about it because it's relevant to the significance. Like, there's a little bit about it that right. I don't want to throw a new word at you at that point. Right. But there's this type of stone called a trilithon. Okay. And these were set up in a horseshoe shape. And they were made out of the Sarsen stones. Okay. So the Trilithon is just, it's significant because how it, like the way that they were organized will relate to astronomy. Right. How these okay. Trilithons were arranged. And so, sorry, when you say the Trilithons are made from the Sarsens. Yeah. How? Like, were they cut out of it or like? I guess so. So the big thing is that I think like, aside from the blue stones, I believe that the rest of the other stones are likely made up of the same material, came from the same place. Oh, I see. And so it is just their arrangement and shape that would differ them in name. Right, from one to the other, okay. I believe so. But the blue stones are completely unique in their own. Okay, and this is kind of a technical question. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, how did they move the rocks? Like, Honey, we're about to get into it. Oh, you're about, okay. You're right, asking the right questions. Was the wheel invented at this point? Like, I'm curious, because, like... Apparently it was, but... Okay, okay, because I remember, like, and this is so weird, but in, like, grade (laughs) seven science... No, grade four. That'd be bad if it was grade seven. Grade four science, we learned, like... I feel like the history of like rollers, wheels, yes. pulleys, and all that stuff. So I like vaguely remember like those things. You're like, but I'm like, is this around? Like, you know, roll like literally. Anyway, yes. like what was around then? But yeah, um, you're gonna get. Me I do think it, there's no wheel specifically mentioned, but they would have at least had some idea of this technology, if not already right. having the wheel. But yes, this is the big thing. The importance of the blue stones is partly due to the massive effort involved in moving them such a long distance. Right. Because some of these stones were as long as 10 feet and weighed four tons. And they were coming all the way from the Priscelli Mountains in Wales, which is roughly 140 miles from Stonehenge. What the hell? And it's the only place in the UK where this type of stone exists. So it's not like, oh, like they maybe grabbed from somewhere else. Like these blue stones could have only come from Wales. Right, right, right. So it's like, these were extremely heavy. How are we getting them there? Yeah. 
So archaeologists believe that the ancient Britons would start off by shaping the boulders, um, and they did so by hammering wedges of wood into cracks in the stone. Right. And when the wood was soaked in water, it would expand and eventually split the stone. Right. And so from that point, the builders could chisel and hammer the boulders into their desired shapes. And then once they had done that, the stones were then transported to the building site, Stonehenge. Right. And likely they did so by being carried on rafts down rivers. And then they would be dragged over land by teams of men and oxen. And it's believed that the stones were placed on giant wooden sledges and pulled along the ground using log rollers. Okay. There, yeah. So the rollers come in. The rollers okay. are there. I don't know why. I was like, <laughs> where are the rollers? Okay, that's so interesting. So yeah, it was like largely like they got it close enough through a river. It was, it was like close. Right. And then to get it to actual Stonehenge location, it was like rollers and sledges. That's so interesting. I would not yeah. want to be on that raft. Let me just say, because if your raft breaks... <laughs> Oh, sinking rock. Hope you don't sinking get rock. down by it. Anyways. And it is interesting to note that in modern times, no one has successfully reenacted this feat with the technologies that were available back then. Like oh, no one okay. has figured out how they could have done this. Right. Nor is there ever any, like, any evidence to support this like, theory of how they move the stones. Right. But the other argument that people are presenting is that with the Ice Age, glaciers were moving these big stones down. Okay. Which to me seems more unlikely than them using that technology to roll it along the ground. I don't know. Right. That's me. Okay. 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 So no one's really sure how they did it. Yeah. But this is like the assumed way that they may have done it. I don't know. I kind of like theory of the glaciers. You're like, I know I'm nothing here for the glaciers. It, but I just <laughs> have great respect for them. So. You know what? Okay. Not to say you don't. Not to say you don't. No, no. I have no respect for glaciers. I've just seen I'm what they've done. I've seen what the glaciers have done out in uh, Alberta. And some remarkable <laughs> geography. You're like, out maybe. There. I have to say, it is in a lot of articles, they'll mention this theory. It doesn't seem to be supported by historians or archaeologists alike. Okay. So you'd Wait, be going against theory or the, the glacier the theory, theory is not okay. supported. Oh, okay. So um, you're going against the grain there. Well, I'm just, you just said that they haven't reenacted the whole river oxen shtick. And they also can't reenact the glacier shtick. So, well, yeah, how would they build a glacier? <laughs> How would they do that? Anyways, okay. With a weather machine? I don't know. I'm just throwing <laughs> it out there. Okay, so okay, okay so that's crazy. So yes, that's, so that's how, how they, they got there. them. Yeah. yeah. And in order to create the iconic structure we now know, the builders had to dig deep ditches for the stones and they used ropes to raise the boulders. And then they would pack the ditches with rocks to keep the stones in place. Okay. So that's kind of how it was moving. It was like they would build this massive ditch stone in there, like moving it up with like ropes and pulleys and then packing it with stone. So it's going to stand. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, And important to note, these stones, like they also weren't just like slapped together, like put on top and miraculously lasting until today. Right. They actually like carved in like precise interlocking joints Mm. that were unseen at any other prehistoric moment. Right. And the stones, like, as I said, they were shaped, but they were shaped specific to, like, their purpose. Right. So, for the instance, the sarsens, the big old stones, yeah. they're made wider at the top so that when you're standing at the bottom and you look up, it looks like they're huge. Like, they already are, but it, it makes them look right. that much bigger. Interesting. Yeah. So, it was, thought, it was a thoughtful process going on there. Right, right. And one of the last prehistoric activities at Stonehenge was the digging around the stone settings of two rings of concentric pits. Mm-hmm. And this may have been intended for a rearrangement of other stones, but that was never completed. Right. So that's, yeah. that's how, like, 
how it was built. Right. Another question you may be wondering is who built Stonehenge? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Tell me. Well, we've been throwing around terms like ancient Britons or Neolithic era, but what does that mean? What are we talking about? Yeah, literally, who are they? (laughs) And ignoring what I just said, during the Middle Ages, Stonehenge was thought to be the handiwork of the wizard Merlin. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Just as likely as the glaciers. Yes. Um, That's actually the new theory I like. (laughs) So short little tale here, little story time. The story is that around mid-5th century, hundreds of British nobles were killed by the Saxons and they were buried on Salisbury Plain. And so King Aurelius Ambrosius, he wanted to put up a memorial to his fallen subjects. Sick name, let me just say. (laughs) Ambrosia's salad, did you say? No. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Ew, what a gross thing. Also, okay, go ahead, keep going. So he wanted to put up a memorial to his fallen subjects. So he sent an army to Ireland to retrieve a stone circle known as the Giant's Ring, which ancient giants had obviously built from magical mm-hmm. African bluestones. Okay. That and, was their theory at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scientific. Mm-hmm. And the soldiers won in their fight against the Irish, so they secured this giant's ring, but they couldn't move the stones. Right. So Merlin used his sorcery to spirit them across the sea and arrange them above the mass grave on Salisbury Plain. Mm. Gotcha. So that's how it was done. Um, Makes, sense. <laughs> Makes sense. You can believe this story, hundreds of people did for years, or no, sorry, thousands, millions of people did for hundreds of years. <laughs> there were like about a there were like maybe 200 ish people around in the middle oh ages in we're doing conspiracy theories in the mid 15th century and like a couple hundred people a couple hundred here and there <laughs> but many modern historians and archaeologists agree that several distinct tribes of people contributed to stonehenge and mm-hmm. each took part in the, like a different phase of its construction interesting and so the first stage was achieved by neolithic agrarians who were likely indigenous to the british isles Right. And so for a touch of background, the emergence of agriculture in the British Isles, it really changed the way of life for Neolithic people, because Mm -hmm. now for the first time, groups were able to have permanent settlements. Mm -hmm. And so with that, there was a certain amount of leisure time so people could do things beyond just like trying to feed themselves and survive. Right. And so there was those guys started it during the later periods of construction. It's believed that groups with advanced tools and this communal way of life helped its construction. Mm-hmm. And many people uh, believe that those who worked on Stonehenge were native Britons descended from the original builders. Right. And this idea, because I was like, are you really sure about that? But this idea is partly due to the complexity of organizing such a massive tax or mm-hmm. task. It seems likely that you'd need an elite group of people who possessed and passed on the specific building knowledge in order mm-hmm. to, for this to happen. So it had to be passed down through generations in order for it to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, So Stonehenge appears to have been frequently visited in the Roman period from 43 AD, since Mm -hmm. many Roman objects have been found there. Um, Which is so, I always think that the Romans were purely in like, sort of like Southern, like Europe. I never Mm -hmm. think of them in the UK. (laughs) Literally. And so many Roman objects have been found there and recent excavations raise the possibility that it was also a place of ritual importance to Romano-British people. So when they came later, they're like, this looks cool. It's important to us. Like religiously or like, or do you know? I guess it's kind of... For, this has ritual importance. So I'm sure it has a religious aspect to it. Right. But it doesn't, they didn't really explain. Okay. 
And do you know what, like, the, it was originally built for, like, when you say, like, religious practice, mm-hmm. like, do you know? Oh, we go into of... an insignificance, because there's oh. a couple different theories about why okay, it may okay, have okay. been built. Cool, cool, cool. cool. I'll the shut earliest... little mouth. Yeah, shut up and eat your scone. I will. <laughs> Happily. The earliest surviving written references to Stonehenge, they date from the medieval period. Mm-hmm. And from the sort 14th century onwards, there are increasing references to Stonehenge and drawings and paintings of it. So it right. kind of was a big deal back then, too. It's kind of always right. been a big deal. Yeah, Stonehenge. We're and still talking about it. We're still talking. And mm-hmm. I didn't know. The monument was privately owned. Like, someone privately owned the monument until 1918. Oh, that's bizarre. And then it was finally sold to the nation, which is Britain. And from then on, the duty to conserve the monument fell on the state. And today, mm-hmm. the English Heritage the Department Society doesn't say what it is. It just says English Heritage. They're responsible for maintaining it. Okay. And that is the history of Stonehenge. Wow. That's really interesting. I think, I know that it can be very boring for people to talk about stones and stuff, but we can't talk about Stonehenge without talking about how it was put together and no, what kind totally. of the stones well, that's are. I feel like the, the thing people want to know the most is like, how did they get it there? And then okay. what's it for? Which, I mean, you've covered how did we get it there. Yes. Or at least a couple of theories. And now it sounds like we might be getting into what's Maybe. for. Okay, so significance. Why, yeah. why, why did it get built? The fun answer is that we may never know exactly why Stonehenge was built. There are several theories going around and guessing at what it may have been. Right. The catch is that nobody really knows why. And unless right. something absolutely mind-shattering comes out someday, it will probably always stay a mystery. Right. And this is partly because that period is not only so long ago, but the civilizations that came afterwards were obviously just taking down like the settlements that were there and replacing them with their own. Mm-hmm. So we have very little to understand what the Neolithic age was, what the people would have been like have had access to. So it is difficult to kind of maybe understand their way of life as much as we would like the, like the Romans that came afterwards, you know? Right. So that adds to the mystery. Right. There are kind of three big theories that are thrown around as to why it was built. And we'll talk about each of them. Cool. The first is that it was likely a gathering place for religious ceremonies Right. And more specifically, like a royal burial ground. Mm, okay. So many experts believe that Stonehenge was used for funerals. And they suggest that people would carry the dead along the River Avon and then walk up to Stonehenge in like this grand procession. Right. Okay. And so it would start at a different point up the river. And then once they came to Stonehenge, that was like the final ceremonial process of it. Right. Where the person was laid to rest. And there is some evidence to, to suggest that Stonehenge was a sacred area and people who lived away from the site would come to worship because they found people who weren't necessarily native to that like Salisbury Plain, Wiltshire part. They, right. they found their remains in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and recent archaeological evidence points to Stonehenge being a burial place for the elite only, the royals, right. Right. because they found bodies there that really didn't have a lot of disease that were mm. like, it just seemed to be like they had lived a fairly good life. So it right. seemed like they would have been more of an elite class that would have been buried at that point. Right, right, right. So that's one of the theories that it's kind of a religious place, burial ground, funeral procession vibe. Mm-hmm. 
Some people think that Stonehenge was actually a prehistoric observatory and it was used to study the movements of the sun and the moon. Right. Okay. I feel like I've heard that one. Yeah. So the ancient Britons, they did believe that the sun and moon had a special power over their lives. Right. And it is likely that they would have held ceremonies at Stonehenge on like Midsummer's Day, which is the longest day of the year, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Midwinter's Day, which is the shortest day of the year. So right. it could have possibly been for that. Along the same lines of astronomy, but like a little more intense vibe, is that mm-hmm. the stones operated as an astronomical calendar right. with different points corresponding to things such as solstice, whoa, such as, <laughs> ta da da what a creative way to say solstice. <laughs> like li- tripping over my words. No. Such as solstices, yes. equinoxes, and eclipses. And so it was this idea, this idea about like them ed- marking certain astronomical dates and periods and things was because the sunrise of the midsummer solstice is exactly framed by the end of the horseshoe of trilithons at the right. interior of the monument. So okay, this is where the okay. trilithons come in. So And the trilithons again, what are they're these? made from sarsen stone. Right. They just make a horseshoe in the scent, like in the middle though. Okay. And they're not like they don't have anything on top of them. No lintels on top. But no. But they're they're upright like a sarsen. Or no. I believe so. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Sorry. Um, not that I just was like No, I, I think so because I don't think they're lying flat. I think like I was looking at photos, I think they're upright. Okay, cool, cool. So yeah, the the midsummer like solstice, like that sunrise is exactly framed by the end right. of um, the trilithons. And then exactly opposite that point at the center of the bend of the horseshoe, the midwinter sunset, the sun is also aligned. So it's like that to them seems like there may have been like astronomical connections if those right. two are lining up. That's literally insane. Yeah, no. And it's like, I can understand how that could be a theory that was built out of it it's like that couldn't just be luck right like there would have to be something <laughs> well, <laughs> like, put oh them down God. anywhere like yeah it's fine i don't care worry. babes it's yeah. like oh that worked out that's so um, yeah i feel like there, i've seen pictures of it and i'm still shocked by it people are like there are critics of this theory though because people say that stonehenge's builders probably didn't have the knowledge necessary to predict such events like right. that would be like a solstice or an equinox and stuff. They're like, I don't think they would have had that. Right. Hard to say. The other one that I found kind of funny is like their argument is that England's weather would have meant that their clouds often blocking views of the sky. So how would they be able to have these astronomical observations? And it's like, there could have been clear skies. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, <laughs> ugh, it's overcast all the time. It's like, honestly, the weather back in like, what is it like? 3000 BC England, I'm sure would have yeah. differed greatly from its current yeah. weather. <laughs> that's bizarre. It's like, okay, you're grasping at straws now. Straws. So that's another one of the theories. Right. And then the final like big one of the three is right. that Stonehenge was used as a place of healing where the sick came to be cured and the injured and infirm restored. Right. So some archaeologists believe that the ancient Britons specifically chose the blue stones. Ba-ba-da! Right. And hauled them such a long way due to their mystic medicinal powers. And these are the ones that lie flat, the blue stones. These are, the blue stones actually, the lintels are the only ones that lie flat on top of rocks, aside from like the altar stone and stuff. Okay, okay. The blue stones are just like, they're a lot smaller, but they're still standing upright. They're still upright, but small. And they're not like carved into like a beautiful rectangle. They're sort of just like a large rock, you know? And so they're 
they were thought to have like these mysterious, like awe-inspiring powers, these blue right. stones, okay. which is likely why they would have hauled them all the way from Wales down right. is for okay. that like purpose. Mm-hmm. And in case you were wondering, the the Saracens, the, like the massive stones, they came right. from quarries north of Salisbury Plain. So they weren't hauling those ones. They were still like 25 miles away, still far. Okay. But compared to 140 miles for the blue stones from Wales. Is oh, like, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the, the mystical powers of the blue stones were said to be stimulated by pouring water over the stone and then the sick right. would bathe in that water. Right. And there are many springs and wells in like the region of Wales where the stones came from right. that are still believed to have healing powers and are used this day to like locals using traditional practices. Right. So it is very much thought that the blue stones have something special with them. Right. Okay, gotcha. And there is also evidence that people made healing pilgrimages to Stonehenge from the remains found in the area. Right. And there are two sets of human remains that have been found showing that these people had come and died in Stonehenge with like painful injuries. Right. Okay. And not injuries in the sense of like you being stabbed and you'd be like, oh my God, he came to heal. But it was like, oh, he just got killed there. Right. But it's more so like an infected kneecap or like an injured jawbone from like poor dental hygiene, like things that people right. would have wanted to have fixed and cured. Right. Okay. And so the catch with this theory though, is that there are very few human remains around Stonehenge. Like a lot of them are just cremated like remains. Right, 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 right. So you can only count on one hand, the actual like human like bone remains that have been found. Okay. So it's hard to go off of like that theory. Yeah. And so it could just that, be c- coincidental, right? Yes. Like they just had a broken jawbone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like they just died there. It's like. Exactly. And that's what people yeah. argue. It's like, you can't really tell how many people were actually suffering from injuries or illnesses. Right. Because you don't have like a really good basis to work off of. Right. So my favorite theory that I read, it is not supported literally anywhere except there's one article mentioned it. Yeah. Was that Stonehenge was built as a team building exercise. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, it was just building for the sake of building. Oh my gosh, like corporate team building. Like, and I was like, I doubt it. <laughs> it's like literally, it's like that game you play when like everyone like is in a circle and they join hands. Like yes. you cross your arms and join hands. Like, okay, untangle yourself. But it's like, make it Neolithic. It's like, you couldn't have thought of anything better for this team building. Like, two truths and a lie. Never have I ever. Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's, I thought you were going to say like that aliens built it. Because I swear to God. That some, there is one article that tossed that out, but they did, they just said some people believe aliens built it. And I was like, like, okay, we're not going to look into that any further. Yeah. The team building exercise, I was like, to me, that has, I would believe in aliens before I would believe in a team building exercise Yeah, where you're requiring people to lift up stones that weigh like 10 tons. It's like, no one's, no one's doing it. Why would you need to build a team? Like, okay. It's like, no, I I don't, I don't buy that Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And today to wrap it all up, Stonehenge is used by pagan religions, which have some similarities. Right. So Druids often use Stonehenge for formal ceremonies. And this is because like up until fairly recently, it was a popular opinion that the monument used to serve as a Druid temple. Right. But modern understanding recognized that Stonehenge predated the Druids by like 2,000 years. Right. So it, it was up until recently, it was thought that it would have been that. But now they're like, okay, Stonehenge was built way before this kind of organization or like religious community came together. Right. Okay. The legacy still lives on, though, 
and thousands of modern druids visit Stonehenge every year, particularly around like the solstices and equinoxes. Right. Okay. And that cool. is Stonehenge. Well, thank you so much. That was interesting. Thanks, love. I know we did get definitely into a lot of stone details today. No, but I but think that was important. And thank you. <laughs> the listeners keep um, messaging with the Instagram over and over saying, can you do something a bit more stone focused, a bit more yeah. geological? So. Yeah, and I like, didn't want to go for, you know, your average, like, quartz or marble. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 we're going with bluestones, baby. So yeah, that's like how that. we ended up here. Should we rate our snacks now? Let's do it. Tell me how yours was. <laughs> okay, so first of all, they're much smaller than I thought. And that's yes. no shade. I just, like, I'm used to, like, a big scone. And these are kind of, like, mini scones. They do. They look like, um, you know, at Starbucks, they're not the same shape, but they have, like, the petite vanilla scones, the vanilla bean scones. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They, to me, are, like, that size. Yeah, so they're 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 very small. I, I don't mm-hmm. quite know what you're referencing. Well, like I, I know like what how Starbucks you agreed is. to it, but yeah, I was didn't. like, I was like, I know what Starbucks is. I've never seen those. I thought you were gonna say like the egg white bites, like the sous vide. Oh, things. okay. They well, they are about that. That they're shape. honestly not much bigger. So I was like, yeah, okay. It's that, but so yeah, so small. I really like the powdered sugar on them. Yeah, the ones I got today, I would say, are maybe like not the maybe they're not I don't know if they're not the freshest or because like I wasn't eating in like they're I think they're primarily like an eat in place because it's like a full like tea room that you go for like high tea to so I think like maybe ordering out isn't like I don't know it just they weren't like maybe the the freshest I think or maybe like or maybe that's just their texture I don't know that's not to be shady but um (laughs) it was very cute inside like it was it was very like high tea and I really liked their like jam so I guess in terms of would I go back, I would definitely go back if I like had friends in town or something and we wanted to do something fun, I might go. I would love to go there with you. I think that would be, I think it'd be fun to do like a high tea kind of brunch thing. Yeah. Um, But I don't think I would order it like just randomly because it's kind of out of the way for me and like, and they're small and whatever. So, so yeah, overall would, if we're going with our system, would go again, but not out of my way unless like, because my friends were coming. Okay. Or something, or like planning an event, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, anyways, what about... And that's valid. About, thank you. What about yours? Okay, it's, it's very yummy. Um, right. I don't know that I would go for an hour-long drive for apple bread. Right, um, okay. You know, I was like, I would go back, they had so many interesting treats. I would go back if I'm in Granville Island. Right, but you're um, not going to drive like an hour to do it. I'm not going to drive an hour to do it, but it was a very peaceful morning. It just would have been nice to have someone there with me. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> have a friend. I That's did invite fair. someone and they couldn't come, so I okay. had to go on my own. But right. Did Pebbles it was... come? Or... No, I, I guess I should have brought her, but I can't bring her into the bakery. Right. So, yeah, hard day for Pebbles. She was home yeah. all alone. <laughs> okay, poor thing. <laughs> She's so brave, though, so she did. Oh. well thanks for joining us everyone (laughs) (laughs) and talking about taylor swift with us really in depth analyzing her words maybe i should do a history of taylor swift i would be down i'm a big i wouldn't say i'm a swifty i don't think i can be that because in 2016 i was on kim kardashian's side and i think that Mm. automatically takes me out of being a swifty but i do enjoy her music you know what you know what i've supported her the least throughout of this whole time was lover that album oh girl what such a even reputation like yes she everyone was like this is cringe kind of but like there were bangers on there were bangers on yeah lover just to me i was like this unless you were taylor swift this wouldn't have even made any charts 
No. Like no one would have listened. It's like the most like no. run of the mill pop. It's like old navy pop. It's like yes. literally me and like between me and you need to calm down. Like those were kind of I think those things together might have caused the pandemic. I don't know how, <laughs> but like I, somehow it came together. We can't we can't rule them we out. We can't disprove because- it. Because, Much like Stonehenge oh. was a team building exercise, Lover contributed towards the pandemic. It did. That was actually a dark time for music. And I might be wrong here on the timing, but within that year, I swear, Ariana Grande also released The Light Is Coming. Whatever that song oh. is, like, The Light Is Coming to Bring Back Everything the Darkness. So, the worst song <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. The worst. <laughs> Oh, no. And it was just like that plus like me. Like, I don't know if you remember the music video for me. It's like her, like a lot of CGI uh, and like I color. I have to be honest. When I went oh. on that trip to Italy, Greece, um, after grad, I yeah. did listen to me quite frequently. Oh, my God. <sighs> Which is- and even you need to calm down. It wasn't out yet. So it okay. wasn't on my playlist. You Need to Calm Down was also bizarre. Like, it was her, like, making up with Katy Perry, but it was supposed to be, yeah. like, an anti-homophobia thing. But, like, the, the the peak of the music video is her, like, becoming friends with Katy Perry. It's like, okay, that wasn't homophobia. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Anyways, there, it was just a lot. I never made that connection because it is yeah. very much in, like, a, like, gay anthem. But it really... Well, okay. I don't know <laughs> if, like, I'm going to speak up here on behalf of the gay community and say... <laughs> I mean, you're like, it's a gay anthem. The gays love it. No, no, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say that, like, largely the gays were like, what? Like, she did put a bunch of drag queens in from RuPaul's Drag Race. And then she put in, like, the guys from Queer Eye. Yeah. She's like, what did gay people like? She's like, Queer Eye and Drag Race. Um, Um, She was appealing to the heteros. She was. Okay. Well, everyone. um... Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) Uh, Some of that's getting cut, probably. No, no, I'll leave all of that in. Uh, We'll talk to you all next week on a mysterious topic that we have yet to uncover. And as always, if you would like to give suggestions for episodes, please let us know at Eat It Up Pod. We Mm -hmm. love any and all feedback. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wouldn't say any, but... Some of it's broken us, but the the rest (laughs) of it we love, so... Yeah, exactly. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye! Bye.